person that was very um, mighty in his relationship with God. And uh, you'll see that in our, in our lesson today. Am I okay here, Tony? Am I good? Okay. So the title of my lesson this morning is, uh, is going to be on the book of Jonah. Jonah was a, is a great children's story about uh, Jonah getting swallowed by a big fish. But that is not what the book of Jonah is about. It's not about Jonah getting swallowed up by a big fish. Uh, that's a part of the story, but that's not really the purpose of the book. I know we like to focus on that, but that's really not the essence of the account. The title of my lesson is, um, Where Are You Going? And if we can go back one uh, slide there. Jonah in the background here. This is about 770 B.C. This is long before the Assyrians uh, went up and conquered this part of the town in 722. So this is many years before that. And, and, and Jonah's from the northern part. And, uh, and so he's successful. He's a, he's a great prophet. In fact, um, some of his predictions came true in 2 Kings verse, uh, uh, chapter 14, verse 25. This is said about Jonah. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet of Gath-Hefer. Um, Jonah successfully predicted the success of the northern part of Israel. He was an, a prophet that was like, wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. He made a, he made a prediction, and it comes true. And that is a, a, a trademark of any prophet of God. What you say must come true. And so they're just making a reference here that Jonah is someone that God speaks to. He is truly a prophet. Now, what we're about to read is somewhat sad, but true. And men throughout history, because it's, it's, history is written by the conquerors, correct? And usually when the conquering guy telling the story, he likes to smudge the truth and not make the guy in charge look so bad. Not so with the Bible. The Bible, God does not mind telling you the raw truth of God's people and how sometimes they're awesome and sometimes they're just flat out ugly. And this is a prophet, although he was very successful and famous, there's an ugly side to all of us spiritually. And we have to be, we have to be on notice that there is an ugly side to us. You know, to be a Christian and say that everything's always awesome is... Um, you're, you're incredibly deceived because there's a side of us that can get us to become ugly. And the more you're aware of that, the more you can overcome it. The more you're deceived to it, the more you're prey to it. In this situation with Jonah, the mighty man of God, look in the, the book of Jonah in chapter 1, verse 1. And the title of my lesson this morning is, Where Are You Going? I mean, we're, we're in the third, almost going on the fourth month of 2010. Where are you going? Where are you headed? What direction are you going spiritually? Are you going sideways? Are you going backwards? Here's the road. Where are you going? Let's read together in Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. Let's stop there for a second. 
God is aware at times when we go dark. It's not like you can, be, you can become darkness in secret. We know darkness, you feel like you're alone, you're not talking to any, anyone, you're not talking to Christians, you're not talking to any friend you have, you're alone in your dark. God still notices when we go dark. He does. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. You know, where are you going? When God calls you, when you hear the calling of God, where do you go? Jonah, the man of God, the prophet, famous, he runs away from responsibility. When God calls you, do you run away from being responsible? Do you run away to be, hey, if I can just avoid church, if I can avoid the fellowship, therefore I can avoid God. Sometimes we think that, don't we? If I can just, quote unquote, I'm not ready to deal with it yet. That's our Southern California talk. Right now I'm going through some issues. Jonah was going through some issues, and Jonah did not want to obey God, go follow God, and go do something that in his time was radical. To go and preach into a nation, which was the Assyrian nation, and we know about them. And sometimes we don't come to worship. We figure, I'm going to go alone, down the lonely boulevard, Green Day. I'm going to be by myself. And we think it's noble to be alone. It's American. It's actually not very good. Because Jesus was not alone. The only time Jesus was ever alone was when he prayed all night. If you want to go do that, knock yourself out. That's awesome. If you want to be alone, you want to pray all night, I think that's great. But to be alone in Christianity is very self-centered and dangerous. It's when the darkness creeps in. Now in verse 4, let's take a look. Now if you're wondering where Tarshish is at, no one's really nailed down a specific. Some think it was Spain. Some theologians think that. um, We can't really find the city yet. I'm sure archaeology will... Soon have the answer for us. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, or he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Isn't that remind you of Jesus? Jesus, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast their lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Hmm, interesting. So they asked him, Tell us. You can imagine the sailors aren't like, Tell us. Tell us. Tell us. Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? You know, sometimes when we're not doing well spiritually, other people notice. They notice that, you know, the, the, the cast fell on Jonah. You know, it, it was obvious when you're not doing well and you claim to be a Christian, people notice when you're not doing well spiritually. They take note of it. These guys were concerned for Jonah. What are you doing? Who is your God? Where are you from? Then he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, 
who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told himself. Can you imagine Jonah getting open with non-Christians? Hey, I'm running away from God. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of times we go to people that can't help us and we tell them what's really going on. Hey, I'm not doing well spiritually. I'm supposed to be a Christian, but I'm not, I'm not going to church. As if they're going to help you spiritually. And a lot of times we find that to be our escape hatch. Well, I'm getting open. Well, you're getting open with someone that cannot help you. These guys had no clue. When they told me he was worshiping the Lord, the, the Lord God who made the sea and the land, they just got more scared. These guys were just, these guys were frightened. The sea was getting rougher in verse 11 and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? You know, I don't think they wanted to do harm to Jonah, but they wanted to figure out, hey, how can you do better spiritually so we can all survive this? Sometimes your friend might ask you, hey, you know, how can you change because you're a real jerk right now? I can't be around you because you're so terrible. You know, people will do that sometimes because they see our sinful nature. Here's what Jonah says. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it'll become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. You know, Jonah would rather die than go preach to Nineveh. Just throw me overboard. Just, just get rid of me. It'll, it'll all go well. He would rather die than go share his faith. You ever feel that way sometimes? I would rather die than share my faith. I know I felt that. You know when I feel it? When God's on my conscience saying, share with this person, I'm going, no, it's awkward. We're in Starbucks. It's totally weird. It'll cause a scene. People will hear that I'm sharing and then look at me in a very weird way. I'd rather die than share my faith. I mean, for, in every day of our lives, we have that moment of Jonah. But we would rather die than share our faith. God, I, would ne- I don't want to share. When the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, man, this is your time. This is his time. Their moment has come. Do it. You're like, no, 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 no. The timing is not right. The timing is not right. I call that the Jonah moment. Where we rather die than share our faith. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. So these guys did not want to harm Jonah. So there's the proof that Jonah said, hey, kill me. These men said, hey, Jonah says, throw me over. They're like, no, we're going to try to row back to to land. They were were noble men. I would have probably thrown Jonah over. Uh, But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord. Now notice they cried out to the Lord. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish, not a whale, a huge fish. In the Greek, it's not the, uh, of the genus of the whale. It's the genus of a large fish. So... I know we all thought it was a big whale, but it was a large fish. And the Jonah was in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. Wow, he must have had a slow digestive system. Jonah was running away, and trouble found him. You know, whenever we stumble in the darkness, we can't see very well. And trouble will find us. 
And I know sometimes it's a reality that sometimes we'd rather die than share our faith. And Jonah was one of those guys. And you can relate to that. And these men on the boat, the men on the boat, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Sometimes God does things that makes you just, it just scares the bejeebies out of you. You're like, whoa, was that for real? You know, I know when earthquakes come, we really feel how small we are in our humanity. If you've ever been, in, if we've been in a lot of earthquakes here in Southern California. If you ask Jorge Schweitzer about his moments of being in Chile at an 8.5 earthquake, it, it just does something to you. It gets going, wait a minute, God made the earth. The earth is rumbling. I mean, it's a scary moment. Remember in 1989, I was in, um, it was in the Army, it was in boot camp in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And um, Hurricane Hugo was on its way. And I, I was still a teenager, I was 17 years old, I'm like, Hurricane what? What do you guys call these things? And Hurricane Hugo, Hugo came, and we were out in the, uh, in, we were out bivouacking in the, in, the, in, the, in the forest there. And Hurricane Hugo came, and and, and the wind was everywhere. It wasn't like it was one tree. There was many trees falling, and everyone's screaming, and guys are crying, and our drill sergeant's saying, get in, get in the vehicle right now, get in the vehicle right now. And I'm going like, I would rather have an earthquake than this. Because the earthquake, 20 seconds, it's over. This thing came coming and coming. Trees were falling everywhere. We got into the truck. We got to our barracks. We had a, the windows were shaking so violently. We were trying to tape them down. Everything was shut down. And I was telling my drill sergeant, I said, drill sergeant, I would rather have an earthquake. He's all, an earthquake, son? Are you crazy? I said, no. 30 seconds and it's over. This is crazy. <laughs> it went on for hours and hours. And we were all so scared. And at that moment, I thought, man, I should never sign up for the army. <laughs> this is scary. But they had me for six years. Terrible. You know, whenever we get the calling of God, when, when we ask ourselves where we're going, there's going to be obstacles. Point number two, what are your obstacles? Here, here are the obstacles for Jonah. This is who he had to preach to. These are the people. Here's who he had to preach to. These people are described as evil and violent. Think about people you think, in your, in, your, in your people you know, who have a slant toward evil and are, and are just violent. They don't mind punching people who they disagree with. These people were carefree. In other words, Zephaniah, the prophet, calls them, their city is full of rivalry. They live in safety. I am the one and there's none beside me. What a ruin she has become, a layer of wild beasts. All who pass by her scoff and shake their fists. Why, you, you're going to get yours. Their crimes, woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. These are what people, other prophets are saying about the Assyrians. All because of the wanton lust of a prostitute alluring the mistress, the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and people by her witchcraft. So there was a, you know, a lot of sorcery going on in that city. And these are the people that Jonah had to preach to. Where are you going? What are your obstacles? You know, for some of us, we have a lot of obstacles that go back way, way back to our childhood. Um, some of us were abandoned emotionally, physically, by our fathers, our mothers. Those are obstacles. Uh, a lot of us grew up with having mistrustful and abusive relationships. Those are obstacles. Those are real obstacles that affect us today. 
uh, some of us were emotionally deprived. I know I grew up with, you know, the only emotion I, I came in contact with usually was frustration and anger. And I was deprived of, 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 of loving, nurturing relationships. Um, that's an obstacle. Um, a lot of us, vulnerability, it's an obstacle. The, this reluctancy to be a real person and share, hey, this is who I really am without feeling like, will I ever be loved if you know who I really am? I, there's this fear of, will you really care about me and, and really treat me um, and love me even though you know me? Uh, some of us are socially excluded. We were left out of things. We weren't invited to be a part of this group or that group. Um, some of us, we grew up feeling, hey, we had it all. We were pretty righteous. So much we're, we're self-righteous. I don't have much sin. There's that one too. That's an obstacle because you don't see your weaknesses. Insecure. Maybe you feel like you sin too much. I sin way too much. God can't possibly like me. There's no way. My mom doesn't like me and she's supposed to love me. How can God ever love me? Maybe your obstacle is your marriage. Maybe you're not unified in your marriage. Maybe it's topsy-turvy. Maybe it's the, the roles are flipped. It creates fear. You know, Jonah's obstacles were real. You know what his were? He was prejudiced, judgmental, and self-righteous. He says, I'm not going to give those people God's word because I know it'll happen. They'll repent. And they're not gonna, I don't want those people to be God's people. They're, they're terrible people. I'd rather die than share my faith with the Ninevites. That was his attitude. My third point is, when we have the obstacles and we have the calling of God, we have to face the calling. We must face God's calling. Even though there are real obstacles in your life that are blocking you from God, you have to face the calling of God and go to, in that direction. Don't get on a boat. Don't sail away. Don't run from God. Because you'll find trouble there too. Whatever God is calling you to, whether it's to um, be a better parent, be unified with your wife, whether it's to be a better disciple, be more open, share your faith, whatever God is calling you to, do not run from God because trouble awaits us. We have to face the calling of God. Look in chapter 3 and verse 1. We'll read the account. Before I read that account, I wanted to read to you something. that is in my bag that I thought was very interesting and very powerful. As you know, in Chile, there was an 8.5 earthquake. And I'm going to read for you a story of, of one of the situations in Chile, what was happening. This happened in, in Constitucion, Chile. Am I saying that right? Constitucion? Um, and there it, it reads, as a CNN article... Uh, on, on this account, mourners at a church in this coastal town came to honor Constitu Constitution's dead. Those crushed when an 8.8 mag uh, magnitude earthquake flattened buildings and other washed away by the tsunami that followed last month. Those remembered Sunday include a fisherman, his stepson, and a friend who perished saving others when they could have easily made it to safety. Fisherman Pedro Munoz, stepson Luis Anabalan, and friend Juan Padilla were camping on an island just off the shore when scores of others, when the earthquake hit on February 27th. As the earthquake generated, a, a tsunami rolled in. 
The three men raced to evacuate as many as they could. Pedro and his son shouted, Women and children first, said Tabitha Bravo, Pedro Munoz's widow. I ran to get everybody together, but the boat was too small and there was not enough space for everybody. Four women and their six young children left on the first boat as Bravo refused a seat. Munoz came back for his wife and nine others as the second wave was approaching the island. Her son Luis and friend Padilla continued to organize those who were still stranded. As I looked back, I heard screams and laments of other women, Bravo said. I shouted to my son Luis to run to the trees and climb up. He shouted, I'm okay, Mom. Never forget, I love you. I love you. Witnesses say Munoz ferried at least 20 more people to safety on that second trip to shore. Tabita Bravo said she begged him not to go back, but a neighbor persuaded him to make a third and final trip. He said, don't worry, I'll be back. But if I don't make it, then that's God's will. But if I don't try to rescue more people, then I'll always have it on my conscience, according to Bravo. Those were the last words the couple shared. I heard the third wave coming, destroying everything in its path, she said. I heard ships snap. I, heard the up, I, heard, I ran up the hill, and when I looked back, I realized Pedro, Luis, and Juan were gone. I knew I'd never see them again. In Constitution, they took communion Sunday as Chile began the three days of national mourning, taking time to remember people like Pedro Munoz, Luis Anabalon, and Juan Padilla, men who sacrificed themselves so others could live. That was just last month. I don't know if these men were Christian, but you, when you read it, they sure sound like Christians. And that's us. See, you got to face the calling. You got to face it. They had a few moments to decide the outcome. And what he said was, if I don't do this, how can I live with myself? How can I live with myself? That's the question I ask myself. How, how am I going to live with myself if I would rather die than share my faith? That I would rather die than change my character? That I would rather die than get open with my sin? This is the calling, and we have to face it. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim it, and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. The reluctant prophet goes. Now Nineveh was a large city and it took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going on a day's journey into the city proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God and they declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. By the decree, I'm sorry, verse 6, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animal, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did 
and how they turned from their evil ways. He relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Can you imagine that king, that evil king, the sorcery king, the one who murders, the one who's full of lies, to get up off his throne, take off his robe, and declare this to all the people? Can you imagine that? That's the power of God's word. And when we shut the word up in our own bones, shame on us. Shame on us. That's a king right there. He's more intimidating than the guy in the suit at Starbucks. He's more intimidating than the guy driving the Ferrari. This is the king. This was a brutal king. And the message here is people respond to the word of God. When you, when you sit down with your brother and sister, open the word of God. Because no matter how ugly they get, you open the word, it has an effect. Open the word with people. Show them the word of God. What blows me away is that they did this saying, maybe God will, will, will relent. They weren't sure. And they still repented anyway. They weren't so hard as to say, oh, we're going to die anyway. Unlike Hezekiah. Well, it's not going to happen in my time. If you read that story, going, whoa, these are God's people. They tend to be sometimes more hard-hearted than the non-God's people. It's amazing. You know, sometimes, and one of the lesson the points here is this. We as God's people, one of our biggest problems is that we can become insular. We're, we're worried about ourselves, our family, our friends, our people, and we ignore the rest. And what that does, it makes us self-righteous and cold. We just want our disciple friends, our disciple friends. Oh, keep that guy away from my kids. Our disciple friends. And this lesson here is that God will do something radical to get our attention. That God knows it's not about us. It's about them. We're right with God. They're not right with God. Let's help them. That was radical. That was amazing. It was so radical that Jonah refused to do it. It was so radical that the Jews wanted to kill Jesus. This was not the same thing. They murdered Jesus because he wanted to save all nations. Because when we come on, become, when Shoreline becomes this insular church and we just worry about ourselves, we, get, we, we have this heart. And we forget about the people around us. That's God's heart. He wants all men to be saved. Look in, uh, in chapter 4, verse 1. So, I mean, can you imagine? They repented. Jonah's there for three days. Maybe he had a trial for a day. No big deal. He, he, he has a 20-hour travel. He goes, he goes to the city and preaches for three days. And then look what happens. And they repent, and they do awesome. And they're like, this is how the king, a royal decree, it's amazing. Da-da-da-da! Can you imagine that when you share faith? Da-da-da-da! You're absolutely right. Guys fall down, tearing their clothes, help me, save me. And you'd be like, I'm so humble. This is truly amazing. This is, he wants to become a Christian. We're all, we start calling our friends, we're Facebooking everybody, we're Twittering. Look what Jonah does. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by going to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God. Shame on you. Slow to anger. 
abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I knew that. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And this is a man of God. This is an awesome man of God. This is a prophet. This is one who's inclined to believe truth. That's why God selects these men like, to be prophets. They're inclined to be spiritual. They're inclined to be ministers. They're inclined. And this was his attitude when someone changed. Least we be like this. It's prejudice at its finest. Can you imagine this? This is, this is the account. God doesn't try to go... Wow, that was a terrible account. That was a bad response, Jonah. We're going to just change the scriptures real quick. And Jonah was really encouraged that God had totally changed his life. God doesn't do that. That's how you know the Bible is from God. Because men write history, and men always go, well, maybe it wasn't a cherry tree. It was, I was, you know, we always change history. We do. God doesn't. This is the ugly side, is when you keep yourself insulated, away from others, Consume with yourself, consume with your little babies, your little family, all this consumption. That's who you become. You'd rather die than share. And when you hear a message about, go share your faith, you're like, how insulting is that? Does he know I'm trying to raise kids? Absolutely. The reason why is your kids got to see you be like an evangelist. They need to see you share faith. They need to see that. You know, when I'm going out to a Bible study, I tell my kids, all right, dad's leaving. Get ready. We're going to pray for this guy. He wants to become a Christian. And then on Saturday, I spent time with Henry Bicken. And Jaden's like, hey, dad, does, does Henry need to get rebaptized? I'm like, no, son. He's just got to give his heart back to God. I mean, Jaden was, hey, was he starting to figure out, does he need to get baptized again? I'm like, no, no, no. Just restored. It's awesome. I want them involved in the process. I want them praying for people. So when they come to church, they go, oh, Henry. He doesn't have to get rebaptized. He's getting restored. It's awesome. I want them to know what dad is doing. But they got to see it. Because our kids can grow up like Jonah's. I'd rather die than do that. Because they're not used to seeing it in their house. They don't do it. You know who else got this way? Got Jesus' disciples. Let's finish in verse 9. I want to finish the account here. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the vine, this gourd? It is, he said. I am so angry, I wish I were dead. Now, now God made a little vine that created a little shade for Jonah, and then, then God made it wither in one day. He's like, Is it right for you to be, to be, to be mad? Like, yeah, you're right. I, I deserve to be mad. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this gourd, this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I have not the same concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? God does love pets. Amen, Lord. But look at this account. Look at this. This is the Jesus' disciples. Now, the context here is the Samaritan village, the half-Jewish, half-Assyrian people. And they were going to preach in this town, and the people there did not welcome him, Jesus, because he was headed for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? 
Wow. Not just Jonah, but these are the apostles. These Assyrian, Samaritan, Lord, should we call down the fire? Smoke them, women, children, kill them all? Look at Jesus. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. God's heart has not changed for the ugly. His heart does not change. You might be in an ugly place spiritually, and God still has a heart for you. Do you have a heart for him? He's got a heart for you. Look at this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. And lastly, Jonah is in the New Testament, and Jesus talks about Jonah. Some say that, oh, the belly, the, the belly and the fish was, the, was a story. Was really, it didn't really happen. Well, let's look at the Bible. And Jesus answers one of the critics. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The people of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. You know, we start Holy Week this week. Holy Week is the preparation of the death of Jesus. It's the day, it's the week that Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going there to die. I'm going to die for you. Where are you going? What are your obstacles? Face the calling. They lead you in the right direction. Jesus went to Jerusalem. And we can learn things about this lesson. That God does not play favorites. He is not partial. He's not prejudiced. He doesn't, he, he doesn't stop reaching out to you because you have hang-ups. All the more that he wants to, wants to be close to you. We all have some kind of hang-up. We all have it. Sometimes when Karen tells me things, I, I, literally, I think I'm seeing my mother. It's a hang-up. It's my hang-up going like, is that my mom? Is that my mom? I'll tell her something! And Karen's not my mom at all. She's like super gentle. But when you hear those little phrase words, it takes me back to that kitchen Takes me back to that place. I'm like, don't you talk to me that way. <laughs> what, who am I? We all have them. So don't try to kid yourself that you don't have any. Okay? We all have a schema, a deficiency. Okay? But here's my challenge to you. Figure out what's holding you back from growing. What, what, write it down. What, and think about it. What is holding me back? Pray about it. Challenge it. Challenge what you wrote down. Challenge it with the words of God. Then overcome it by the testimony of your faith. Share your faith. If you want to overcome a hang-up, you see other people's hang-up, you go, ah, I know what, yes. You start to go, yes, we all have them. Okay? And lastly, study the Bible with us if you're visiting Study with us and learn more about God. Thanks so much. We love you. God be the glory.